Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast and a fresh series featuring women with strong voices. Originally, I had planned to have this series in July, but I decided to pivot and feature voices now who can bravely speak to us, I think, when we probably need it the most. Our guiding quote for this series comes from Maggie Kuhn, an activist with her own powerful voice. Leave safety behind. Put your body on the line. Stand before the people you fear and speak your mind, even if your voice shakes. When you least expect it, someone may actually listen to what you have to say. Well-aimed slingshots can topple giants. I'm excited to kick off this series with a woman who embodies this quote in many ways and does so with a fierce yet gentle presence. Valerie Lewis has been an educator for 20 years across three states, serving in both public and private sectors in the elementary and high school levels. She is currently an administrator for a large high school in Georgia. Valerie is involved in advocacy in her community, as well as in education, engaging in the ISTE Digital Equity Professional Learning Community. Valerie is dedicated to learning through experiences and engaging activities. Learning must make an impact. Her belief is that critical learning possibilities should be activated now so students are future ready. Valerie is an encourager and a motivator and has the mentality that the team is better together. Learning is a journey that ultimately transforms. In this episode, we hear Valerie's voice come through for us around topics of community activism, leadership beyond titles, and we engage in a timely and brave conversation around the work behind engaging around social justice and leading toward equality and equity in our schools. I am inspired deeply by Valerie and the leadership she provides to her community, to her school, our professional learning network, and the education profession. It is a great honor to share with you my friend, Valerie Lewis's Leading Loud Voice. Welcome, Valerie Lewis, to the In Awe Podcast. I'm so excited to have you featured on this series and for my listeners to be able to hear your wonderful voice today. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I am excited to be here and having this conversation with you. Today. This is a long time coming, um, but we're going we're gonna to cover how we know one another in just a minute. But would you do me a favor? I read a little bit about you in your bio, but I want to make sure that the listeners get to hear a little bit more about you in terms of what your current context is, what you're up to in the world, and how you're just serving so beautifully. Awesome. Well, I am currently serving in the role as an administrator at, the, at a high school in one of the largest districts here in the state of Georgia. Uh, my background is in special education. Uh, so I have been in an administrative role. This will be year three for me, but I always feel like that was just because the title became official, but I felt like I was always leading. Um, people kind of gravitated to me. And so that kind of pushed me in that area. I am an activist in my community. I really enjoy getting out and doing the work, especially those centered around young people in our community. And so really pushing them to find their voice, to activate their voice, to lead, um, to feel empowered, to do the things that they are most passionate about. And I'm a mother, um, a wife, obviously, and married with three children. Um, there are 12, nine, and six. And of course, you can only imagine that is a full-time job in itself, <laughs> but they really keep me going. And as hip and as young as I'd like to think I am, they constantly remind me that I am none of those things when they are talking about these, uh, I guess, games and, and new platforms that they are experiencing. I'm, I'm going, oh my goodness, 
I thought I was connected. I thought I was like in the in crowd. And so my three little ones keep me busy and constantly remind me that I am generation separated from uh, I'm just over here beaming. But I want to affirm for you that you are in the in crowd in this generation. So you're good. I, I just want you to hear that from me today. Uh, awesome. Because my daughter last night, we are we don't really watch a lot of television, and especially those that have commercials. But lately, we we've been watching on Hulu, and so commercial for like an anti aging serum came up, and my, <laughs> my oldest looked at me and she said, "Mom," I was like, "Okay, so we're gonna talk about products and marketing." And by the way, I'm not old, but so you know, the timing of your message just kind of cracks me up on that. So, okay. That is funny. I love that you, first of all, um, that you're an administrator at high school. That speaks to my spirit because that's been my journey too. And also that you talked about how you uh, empower voices and uplift voices that you're an activist in your community. So I want to make sure that we touch upon, you know, we have you kicking off this series on voice. And I want my listeners to hear just a little bit. First of all, I had planned on a different series, but I pivoted. (laughs) I flipped them. I was going to have this series in July, but I feel like the mission in your message is is so perfectly timed and I can't wait for you to share kind of where that passion comes from and what that looks like. But I love how you led that way already. Um, You know, as an educator, we want to make sure that our students have the opportunity to have voice. And so would you just want to cover that ground with me a little bit? Like, what does that look like for you when you say that you're an activist, for example, in your community? Let's touch upon that first. Absolutely. So um, getting involved in a you know, nonprofit organizations, or at least being affiliated and associated with people that are trying to affect change in our community. So those that may be political candidates are those that are doing the work. So I have a good uh, friend of mine, Marlene Taylor Crawford. She leads an organization called the United Ebony Society. Um, And it is for black, brown, and beige individuals, but certainly doesn't discriminate against anyone who wants to come in and do the work. And so from a year to year basis, uh, they put on, you know, informative information, informational sessions, webinars, just empowering people, teaching them about candidates and um, and what voting means and um, learning about county governments. I was fortunate enough to be part of an organization or program called Gwinnett 101 Citizens Academy, which was put on by our Gwinnett County government. And so it really takes you into the back office and the back doors of the county in which I live in. And so you really get to see a hands-on look at how the board decides on the budget for the county, how your millage rates are determined, how the police and um, other service community providers um, input and implement their services for you and how your voice matters and how you can sit on a citizens review board and give the chairman of that board advice and your input on what's going to work for the people that live in your, not just your neighborhood and your community, but your town, your region. And so being able to be connected with these individuals, you really get to look through a different lens and recognize that the quality of life that you go through is not only going to impact you, but it's going to impact your children. It's going to impact the children that you serve in the schools in your community. And so it was really important to be able to be boots on the ground and to be part of these grassroots organizations that are truly doing the work 24-7. Maybe they aren't highlighted as much because they may not have the big dollars behind them, but I understood that that was the work that was most important not the work that dollars can kind of showboat and have you on the classifieds and um, on 
the newspapers or in the newspapers or in the media, but really people can say, I know that person because they literally came to my home. They spoke with me. They were able to bring meals to me. Um, they helped me with my troubled teen. And so for me, I think that's the hard work that needs to happen. It's the hard work that has to happen, but it's certainly the right work that not enough people want to spend the time and get into. And so when I talk about being a community activist, that's exactly what it is. And so when it comes to empowering youth, um, my husband and I have put together productions in our community that teach uh, that teach young people um, about their heritage and their culture and, and kind of build them out of their shell, so to speak. You find the kids that were the most shy, the most timid, and we work on you know, cre recreating monologues and moments in history in which they are learning their history, but they're able to share. And it's also building their confidence because a lot of times in our communities of black and brown people, there's always the narrative of they're lazy, they don't want to work, they come from poverty, oh, look at their broken homes. It's always the sad story that's painted where everyone feels as though they have to feel sorry for us. And I want young people to understand that, yes, although those things exist, they don't only exist exclusively in our community, but they, ex they exist across America in any community. But I want them to be confident, um, empowered. I want them to know their cultural heritage, the good, the bad, the ugly. But I also want them to know moving forward what they do continues to tell the narrative. And that's the part that we really need to focus on is empowering them. And so that has become the hard work, my heart's work and the right work. I'm just over here beaming because I wouldn't have ever guess that you would have that expansive of an answer. Um, because I think about like um, educators, we are part of our communities, you know, depending on our context, some of us have smaller communities and larger. And we, you know, we'll get involved civically, but to the degree that you're describing, that is just insane. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, as I'm listening, I'm going, do we even, I was processing this and thinking, do I even have such an organization in my community? And if I don't, you know, um, how could I get involved in one if I didn't want to start one? And so I'm just curious, how do you get attached yeah. um, to those experiences? And, and is this something that you were kind of invited into or that you sought out? What does that look like? A, a lot of it is certainly seeking it out. And I think seeking it out as well as just being able to be relatable and, um, I don't know. I, I'm a people person. I'm not an introvert. I'm an extrovert. So when I get into a space or place with people, naturally, I just want to talk. I want to figure out who they are, what they do, um, you know, why are they here? And through those conversations, sometimes I'm led to the answers that I may have been seeking. Oh, well, did you know that such and such there, you know, this exists? And I'm like, no, I never even heard of that organization. Where are they? And that's when I'll start to do the Googling and, and just trying to figure out, well, when do they meet? When do they convene? Where do they convene? Are they in my um, local area? Is there a chapter in my area? Area and those kind of things. But I think it really goes back, Sarah, all the way to my childhood. My mom raised my brothers and I as a single mom. She was an immigrant who came over from Haiti and she was converted into religion, Seventh-day Adventist. And through the organization or through the religious organization, I'll say a lot of what um, 
a lot of what was going on was community service and outreach. And so I always saw from my mom, her going out and bringing me along, being the only girl and the baby, of course, (laughs) to feed the homeless, you know, her going to the church members' homes and bringing them a big pot of food or soup or going there just to pray for them because they were sick and shut in. Um, You know, and sometimes I didn't want to be dragged along. I didn't want to go. I'd rather stay home and watch television or just play, but I had to go along. And so I think she modeled the behavior that I have now adopted and made my own as well. And so I really think that's where it really began. It was just watching her do it, watching her take her little vehicle, drive around the town, pick up other women that were church members that may not have had transportation. And they here we are all packed up in the vehicle, you know, getting ready to go to Bible study or getting ready to go to church. And then her taking them back home in the afternoon. And then her doing the same thing for the young people. She naturally gravitated. She was the one. She was the mother in the church. If a child was acting up, she would get up out of her seat. She would come up to that pew and she would say, you come with me. And she'd make you sit next to her. So she also had that firm disciplinarian where people saw her coming and it's like, uh uh-oh, what is Sister Anne about to do? But then she was also the one that was out there putting together social events for the young people so that they made sure that we got to go to the beaches and we could, you know, enjoy each other's company. And so they knew that her sternness was out of love and it wasn't out of malice. And so I think she really was the one that embedded these qualities and these traits in Mm. me. So I love the way that you describe that your mother kind of implanted into you this, um, by model and by, you know, design uh, ability to serve. I think um, school leaders just have such a tall order anyway. So for you to really serve your community is is a really beautiful thing. And I'm curious then, so what do you think is the thing that led you to school leadership? I know you said that you've always kind of been a leader with or without title. It didn't matter. But what pushed in you the desire to kind of move into that titled leadership role that you're in now? Well, I'll tell you the truth. I'll be honest. I never thought that I wanted to go into leadership. I never really had the desire or truly expressed the desire to do it. So I was pushed by my current principal at the time to do it. Um, And pretty much it was, you need to do this. You are doing a phenomenal job in the classroom and teachers naturally gravitate to you, but this is the thing that I need you to go ahead and do. And so I applied because it really was a no option at that point, either apply or there's going to be issues. And so I did, and I'm glad that I did because I definitely recognize at this point what a greater impact. I think as teachers, we look through a teacher's lens. We see our classroom, we see our students, we see our wing, we see our course team, and that's just as narrow as our view, you know, goes. But looking through an administrative lens, you see the multiple wings, the multiple students, the multiple course teams, and then our building and other buildings, and of course, the district. And so that lens becomes broadened. And so I'm certainly glad that um, that he was able to push me to say, I think that this is the time in your life, in your career, in your space that you should do this. And I'm recognizing the impact is so much greater than I could have ever imagined. And that's 
really what pushed me into building leadership. It's so interesting because you have this really clear um, kind of advocacy bone inside. You know, if you were a special education teacher, I'm going to go ahead and assume to layer that in that you are an advocate naturally. So not only are you like community-based advocacy, but now as a leader, and it's really kind of cool to hear that it was somebody that saw something in you that advocated for you to do that. And I guess my big question, Mark, would be what do you see kind of moving forward? Just knowing, I mean, this is a big question for you, Valerie. Okay. So, but two things that I'm thinking about right now is what a challenge it is to be leading during a pandemic, which is something that nobody would have anticipated, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and so one layer of the question that I have is how has your, has advocacy played a role in serving in the way that you are right now for um, leading through COVID before we even got to this last month? Yes, absolutely. So naturally, and you you hit it right on the head. I think naturally you're always fighting for the underdog, um, or at least that's my, I'll speak for me. That's always been my position to fight for the underdog, the ones that people may have counted out. Um, those are the ones that I feel like those are the ones that need my voice the most. And so that was the desire for me to go into special education because I understood that those students were always overlooked. If they could not perform academically, then, oh, what must be wrong with them? But what I, in turn, what I found was those students were, to me, in my opinion, the most creative. Those were the ones who their brains and their the way they thought and saw things were totally different. They were the creatives. They were ingenious. And so you just needed to meet them in a different way. And so it became my mission to show people, no, it's not about just the academic and the IQ score, but we need to really look at their intelligence and their abilities in other areas that certainly benefit, you know, the, the large scheme of things, society as a whole. And so when I think about the advocacy work that I've had to do during COVID-19, I, I'm the middleman playing both sides. I needed to advocate for teachers that felt like maybe, you know, I didn't really know what to do. I was kind of forced into the situation. So as the rest of the world, but then I also needed to advocate for those students that did not have the access or the opportunities to things that sometimes the teachers may have been demanding of them because people tend to function from the lens that they know their privilege or their biases. And so when we're talking about students during the pandemic, not having access, not being able to, um, do the things that they normally would have done in a face-to-face situation, now having to become essential workers and essential family members just to keep the the lights turned on in their homes, to keep food on the table. I needed to be that advocate and that mouthpiece for them so that teachers weren't just penalizing them, thinking that that student was just being negligent, they're being lazy, they haven't logged on, they won't do the work. And so really getting them to reflect on, you know, can we say that for sure? And so I think even more so during this pandemic, the advocacy and the leadership work has had to have stepped up a thousand notches. I think I worked harder during the pandemic than I was when we were interacting face-to-face pre-pandemic. I love so much that we got to hear that from you. And it it just goes back to, again, that person who saw the leadership inside of you. And I think about timing and 
listeners of this podcast know that I believe um, that timing is not coincidental. And so I see you as this leader for just a time as this, you know what I mean? Like for such a time as this, with all of the chaos, this is a, this is a challenging space for everybody just as a human. And then you add all these elements in here. And I love hearing that message from you about, you know, advocating past the mindsets of, of all of the, the nuance (laughs) that we've had. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And you know what I mean? In such a time as this, Sarah, you know, the one thing is that you don't need an official title from someone else to be a leader. We all can lead at something because we're all great at something. Whether we choose to acknowledge that or not, or whether we see it for ourselves or not, it's just a matter of being able to recognize that I can't do anything alone. I have to do it in a collective group, so to speak, because that collaboration piece is important because where I may fall short and have some weakness my neighbor, the person next to me may have that strength. And then when we combine those forces together, what a mighty team we can be. So I think it's just really, really, really pertinent for everyone to own the power that they have, whatever that may be, and step up and choose to lead. If you see something that needs to happen, then go ahead and be proactive. Be problem, you know, not just focus on the problem and amplify that and keep reiterating it and grope and grind about, you know, and and whine about it. That solves nothing. It sends everybody into a tailspin. But how can we be solution oriented? And so I think everyone has at least an answer. Let's put all of our answers in a collective pool and then decide and then narrow down which of these answers may work most effectively and efficiently. But everyone has something that they can offer. And I think it's just a matter of activating that, amplifying that, and being able to recognize it for self so that you can move forward and you can leave and you can lead or live, I would say, a fulfilling life. And that, for me, that's the center of my happiness and my joy because I really I'm glad my principal pushed me and he saw that in me to affirm me but I was already living as a leader I didn't need his validation to do that and so I think if everyone can do that that's the most that's the most if you could have seen me I was over here pumping my fist like yeah I'm so glad you you fit that in. So, you know, we never got to this, that how we've been connected, Valerie, you and I, I, well, I'm really bad at time management anymore, but I think it's been about two years since we've been in the same (laughs) boxer group, maybe a little longer um, for women lead EDU. And what I loved is that just, I don't know, it was last week or the week before, because you came in and, you know, we have to acknowledge at this time right now, we are at an historical moment in the United States. Um, And so here you come in into this group and say, hey, ladies, how are we leading this? (laughs) I'm paraphrasing you, but I just, I loved it because you're like, this is, this is the time to come together. So it's echoing in action exactly what you just said. It's like, how are we doing this? How are we handling this conversation? Do you want to just chat a little, can we just get into that conversation a little bit about what you're feeling right now in terms of your voice and in terms of the, you know, the landscape here as we move forward from, you know, the incident that kind of incited the spotlight on issues that have been present for the longest time. How do, how would you want to just enter into that conversation? I want to let you lead that. You know, Absolutely. So I think, in, you know, when you kind of 
find your circles and your groups of people, as you mentioned, our PLNs, our PLFs, and you're having conversations. And so you may have conversations in the main group where everyone is there and a part of it. And then you're also having conversations with individual people that you may even have a deeper connection with. And so one of those conversations that you know, happened for me was with one that I was having with a good friend of mine, Lisa Dabbs, who's also in that group. And really that push and that charge came from Lisa and, you know, conversation that we were having. And I could feel the pain that she was experiencing. And it, 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 it literally brought me to tears after I um, got off the phone with her and I said, my God, what are we doing here? Okay, what do we need to do? I said, you know, was that moment in that conversation with her a sign for me to say, Valerie, lead loud, open your mouth like you know how to and move, move it. And so that's what I did. I got off my tail end and I just said, all right, ladies, we are leaders. And now is not the time for us to be silent. Now is not the time for us to sit back. What can we do? We're all in different states, different cities, different places. As I mentioned to you earlier, I'm a new administrator by title officially. So there's so much wisdom in the group that I can learn from. I don't profess to know it all or have all the answers, but I certainly wanted it to be an opportunity where I could also learn from those of you in the group. What are you doing in your area? Are you doing anything? And if not, why aren't we doing anything? And how might we be able to approach this? And that conversation needed to happen. It just can't be where we all feel like this is a moment in time and it will blow over because as you mentioned, this has existed before these past three or four weeks. These issues have been going on, you know, 400 years in America. And so it, it, it was definitely not going to allow me to sleep and rest easy, knowing that I had an opportunity to lead loud, use my voice, get others to use their voice and their experience and, and go to bed at night peacefully. It just could not happen. So it was time to act and once again, be solution oriented because we could have gotten in the group and we could have griped about it. Oh, my God. Did you see that? Did you see that? Oh, that was horrible. And we could do that all day, every day. But where would that lead us? So we really certainly needed to push the envelope. And so that's how that came about, that conversation. Yeah, listeners, okay. um, I'm doing this series. And, and if you're a follower of the Anop podcast, you know, one of the things that I'm doing is amplifying women to empower our community. That's the whole mission in this podcast. And one of the things that I've been strategic about is amplifying, being um, more careful and amplifying diverse voices intentionally. And that's one way that I can be an ally. Positioned differently in this world as I come from a space of white privilege that you know, I have to do a lot of learning and unlearning right now. And that's part of the challenging conversation that we had inside of our Voxer group in terms of it doesn't mean sit back and watch and, and not say anything. It means grow and learn and, and figure this out. And they all require action steps, right? That are going to be different right. <laughs> for every single one of us. But sitting back is not right. an option for leaders. So I just really, really appreciated 
you coming in there and for us to have this conversation. So from there, what I loved is people are like, okay, so, so what do we do? And then you blast all these resources. Do you want to share just a little bit for our listeners, which I can link some, like what are the steps you're taking right now from your vantage point in this space? Absolutely. So, you know, leaning on my PLN is my number one. So when I think about our ISTE digital equity PLN, let me tell you that if you ever wanted to be centered around a powerhouse of people, I mean, these, I mean, it's always mind blowing. Sometimes it makes you feel like, do I even belong? You know, am I even supposed to be part of this group? Everyone, as you're mentioning, has their vantage point and what it looks different like. So my learning comes from that digital equity PLN. I am learning from my colleagues that I work alongside with, which very many of them do not look like me. And so making sure that we're having those conversations and letting them know it's a safe space to speak, but I also want us to be able to be in a brave space because the keeping people safe is why we're here still because we don't we don't speak out and say but when this happens being able to own it so safe spaces are good but brave spaces is definitely what's going to move us forward and i believe um ken shelton amplified and made mention of that those brave spaces um speaking with my colleagues um i have some retired leaders that are in my um from my district and that we are running a book club and so <laughs> pre, uh, you know, um, COVID-19 and all of that, we started reading the book White Fragility. And that is a brave space because they are women coming from white privilege and some gentlemen. And so they are speaking about things that may you know, that they may not have recognized before that came from their own family members or maybe some things that they might have done that may have caused offense and being able to own it, acknowledge it and know that there was no judgment on our end. But now how can we move forward? What things should we be doing? And so now they're recognizing if we see something, say something, you know, call people out. Of course, not in a way to humiliate anyone because that just doesn't help, but call it out so that people can be reflective on their actions. You know, take care of the human heart. You know, we're all in this together. We may be sailing with different boat sizes, we're equipped differently, but we're all in this together. And so I think the learning really happens with people getting out into the community, taking a look at maybe even for me, where my privileges lie as an African-American that maybe other African-Americans may not be privy to. And so being part of these organizations are giving me different perspectives and lenses. I don't only run in the circles of educators, but I also run in the circles of people in startup spaces, entrepreneurs, politicians, because I'm looking at the, the, the whole person, so to speak. So that wellness, that health, um, spirituality. I depend on my church group, people that I've gone to school and college with a lot. And so a lot of the resources that I think we really need aren't just simply in a book or a curriculum. It truly is in our neighbor. 
it's it's life and it's the experiences and being able to approach something with an open and willing mind and being able to unlearn some things, as you mentioned. Um, and I believe Sharice McBride mentioned some of that as well on a, a webinar that we did together recently. It's just unlearning some things and being able to move forward. I love what you said about the safe space becoming brave spaces because complicity and being kind and, you know, this uh, politically correct culture kind of thing that, you know, (laughs) emanated from the, I don't know when that even came from, but, you know, this idea that if we don't touch the topics, that it's okay. Um, That colorblindness means that I'm not racist and all of these things that have just really veiled so much of the power structures that have been in place that we just don't want to see for those of us that, you know, I don't want to see it. It's a lot easier for us just to go back into the safe space. And so I love how you said that, that brave space. And today, just today, I had a conversation um, because as my, from my vantage point, um, I've been quietly learning for approximately a year and my resources have been white, what right fragility is one that, as you mentioned, another one that I go to is be the bridge by Latasha Morrison. It was a book, but she's also got a really beautiful and flourishing uh, Facebook group that is just helping me see things very differently. And I sit back and I listen a lot, but what I wanted to mention is that the last couple of weeks have been really challenging uh, because I'm choosing not to be quiet, <laughs> even though I've been doing a lot of quiet yeah. learning because I think that's the way I need to position myself in this space as a white privileged person. Um, and so I believe in that. And yet I can't just not say anything at this point in my circles of influence because that's where it has to be. You know, uh, we're not going to dismantle the yeah. systems if, you know, the people in power aren't willing to do it. Right. That's what I've learned. So for me today, a conversation that I had was, hey, just remember that this is a marathon. Um, And in fact, it's a relay. So we're going to have to like keep going, but tag one another in and out. Like this is for for people who are just coming to this um, space and in this work and kind of getting right with yourself and looking at your own unconscious biases and all of the learning that goes into it. It doesn't happen overnight. It can't happen with just one text, I would say. (laughs) But also, That's right. a, I think like when I look around, I see a lot of people and I'm feeling this tired, but that's where we have that privilege of being tired. Like it, from the white lens, you can kind of tag in and out of that. But what I see, and I don't know if this is your lens too, is that it's not something that a person of color can do. You know, like they can't ever take out of that. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. And you're right. And, and, and I know even for you, that may be uncomfortable because it almost feels like, okay, if I, if I say something, if I speak out, then will I be ostracized? It's almost, am I, you know, not holding an allegiance, you know, and, 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 and of course I can't speak for you. I don't have that experience, but I can only imagine, or at least I try to imagine what does speaking out look like for you? How awkward or uncomfortable is it? Do you get the look when you speak up? Are you, are you feeling like if I say something, will I be disowned or pushed to the side and they say, oh, don't worry about Sarah. We don't, you know, I just wonder those things. What is that experience like for you when you find yourself speaking up and calling something out and being a little bit more brave? Well, if you're, you know, you want to ask the the way I kind of see this and I, I've been using this term, so I don't think it's just mine, but then I also heard Brene Brown say it on her podcast just today. (laughs) 
for us, white wow. supremacy, for white people, white supremacy is like water in a fishbowl. I mean, you just, you don't even recognize it because it's just everywhere around you. And it's something that you've just been conditioned mm. into. And so when I say that, it's like when we have to unlearn and you get to that space of really digging it apart, it is really uncomfortable, first of all. And if you're doing that in a safe space, but a brave space with people who are doing the same work, that's very different than when you are speaking it out. And, you know, this podcast is very public, but I'll tell you that's the dissonance right now because it's for me, it's my, well, my family and I have very differing views and okay. I guess the point of all these conversations to be brave is once, you know, you darn well better be doing, and I will never, I would just been saying to my husband lately, I feel like there's a line that I see now that I've never seen before that I'm willing, I know which side I'm going to be standing on firmly, no matter how uncomfortable it is for me. And I'm going to say the wrong things and I'm going to do the wrong things, but I'm going to be as careful about making sure that I'm on the side of the line that I can feel good about and not, and that means not complacency anymore for me. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> but thank you. for It really, That's this conversation awesome. is really, um, it's nuanced and it's beautiful and I don't want to center myself in it, but I appreciate that you mentioned it because I know that a lot of my listeners are probably struggling with, you know, a lot of the same issues that you and I are having a conversation about right now. Absolutely. And then, and you know, and if I could just speak to your listeners to say, you know, a lot of times the lens is not necessarily focused on an individual, mm -hmm. so to speak. And so sometimes I think when the questions come, people internalize it yeah. as personal. When questions come, then they sometimes become defensive because they look at it as an attack. But you have to think about this compounding of 400 years. And so when the question comes, this question is almost like a... If I can liken it, it's almost like the spirits of my ancestors being able to say what they couldn't say when they had the opportunity. And so through me, it's being voiced. And so it's not a personal attack. It is not a it's about you, but it's really a question for not just me and the legacy that's coming behind me, but it's also for those that have come before me that no longer can physically stand in the fight, but their spirits are embodied in me. And so I'm speaking up on the behalf of them because they didn't get the opportunity in hopes of a change so that when I am laid to rest one day, my three kids, Xander, Carson, and Bella coming up behind me do not have to feel the sting of racism. And so I think if our listeners can think about that aspect, do not internalize it as personal, as an individual attack, but just listen to the question being asked from a spirit of 400 years being audible in today, then just respect that. And I know you don't have the answers, but as you're saying, speaking up, being willing, unlearn some things, recognize, yes, where privilege has lied. And then what can I do to break the curse, mm. so to speak? That's so beautiful. I'm recovering just a moment from that. <laughs> message because there's so much power in that. Um, and for listeners that are, I know a lot of us are, boy, many people are coming at this message and it's right in a time where it feels like a fire hose. You know, maybe I feel like I have the vantage point of, like I said, studying this um, quietly and less out um, front, you know, uh, for whatever reason, I feel fortunate in that way because my new learning isn't out on display for everybody. And I feel like it could be Absolutely. right now a very, um, 
like your nerves feel like they're on the outside of your skin constantly when you're stuck coming to this space. And so I would like to link um, several resources that I've been using, but I'll tell you the podcasts that have been coming out lately on this topic are so big for me, just listening and again, reaffirming and remembering that for the listeners that, um, you know, from this vantage point, I think it's really important that when, as we're doing this and unpacking this, that we are listening and that we are not um, going into the typical, which is that, you know, white women's tears, <laughs> and the guilt, and the outrage, yes, and yes. the, what do they call it? Um, there's so many different terms that are getting tossed around right now, but uh, virtue signaling and all of these things, like, let's make it real and let's make it authentic and let's have the conversations, not always in public, but uh, where they need to be and just actually learn. And from my vantage point, what I'm starting to get really frustrated by Valerie is just all of the people that are sharing a lot of other people's opinions. And let's spend time actually right. learning history and truth and facts instead of regurgitating, you know, a representative. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and certainly grounding yourself in the work, you know, thinking about people that, you know, are doing the work but not just now, but have been doing the work. So really look at it. You know, when I went to vote yesterday, we have preliminary elections here in Georgia. You know, I was able to make an informed decision, not going to the ballots, just guessing and any, meeny, miny, mowing. Oh, well, that person's last name looks interesting. Let me go with that person. But I was truly informed because I knew these individuals. So when we talk about being out in the community, I know the people whose heart's work is in it. They've been doing it. They have sweated through it and they didn't just pop up. So as you, you mentioned, like, you know, people putting information out there now, all of a sudden that this is going on and they're cranking out this material, just really look back at people that have been doing the work. This, this is the body of work that they've been putting out because those people more than likely are going to be the ones digging deep, as you mentioned, into that history. They're really doing the teaching and the learning of that information. And so the, those are going to not just be representatives in a I guess in a false way, but those are people that really are doing, as I mentioned in the beginning, the heart's work, the hard work and the right work. Oh, Valerie. Okay. So I feel like we could have this conversation and keep going down this, um, lane for quite a while. I know you're a busy lady, so I need to ask you the two standard questions that I have for this podcast. And then I'm going to have to let you off the hook, even though I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) I know this has been great. I I so appreciate you taking the time to invite me and the honor is all mine. Okay. So the first question I have is if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? Ooh, if I could write my, my, a letter back to my younger self, I would certainly say, um, broaden your circle so that you may learn about financial freedoms and empowerments. Those friends that did not look like you, making sure that you could have a space if they would invite you over to their dinner tables so that you can learn the things that their parents have taught them so that you in the future can teach those things to your children. Um, That's the path that I'm on now, Sarah. I know my vote counts and I know it matters, but I know my vote also plays into a larger system that still isn't designed equitably. And so for me, I know that the financial empowerment 
it is one that also allows me to be able to use my voice and have my voice heard with respect because we know in this good old American system, money talks. Money certainly does. And so I'd like to be able to leave a legacy behind for my kids. I'd like for them to not have to fill out a FAFSA form to go to college if they so choose to, but to be able to pay that off in full. I'd like for them to be able to inherit properties and land just like my counterparts give and leave behind for their kids at 18. And so for me, that would be my walk is to know and create a a relationship with money that would give me the financial freedom to be able to leave truly a legacy for my kids that may somewhat level the playing field for them. And a good other, like that could be a whole other podcast topic. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> For those listeners that find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt, what could you say to help them rise up out of it? So guys, um, you know, with the fear, it's a natural thing and that's okay, but do not stay and remain in that space. Before, you know, our generation and our time came along, there were so many pandemics. There were so many other events that people also were fearful, you know, gone through the Great Depression. You know, there we can go back into the history books and look at They may not have come out victorious as we would have loved for the story to end, but just know that these things happen for a moment in time and we are the ones that are equipped to make the change leading forward. I believe not too long ago, Obama gave his 2020 commencement address. And so he spoke to the graduates and mentioned to them that although these are uncertain times and critical times that we are uh, living in, but don't just sit back waiting for the opportunity opportunity to go back to the way things were, we are actually in a position to craft how we move forward. And so we really have the power to shape the narrative moving forward. And so fear is a natural thing, but don't stay there because that will only keep you from moving forward. Just use this opportunity and this time to reinvent, to rebrand, to innovate, um, to restructure and come out stronger. You have to be thinking about how you're going to defeat this thing and not let it defeat you. So beautiful, you. Valerie. And as I always know, you know, there's <laughs> always a message that somebody in the audience needs to hear. And it turns out I definitely needed to hear that one from you today. So thank you. Your mission has already landed. <laughs> so I will, of course, link um, everything in the show notes. But what would be the best way for them to engage with you after this interview? Um, I'm on Twitter. and I'm pretty much on every social media platform at I am, so that's the letter I, am V Lewis, L-E-W-I-S. Appreciate this conversation and you taking your time to engage in this brave space with me. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. And I look forward to the next conversation and seeing you in our Voxer group and us continuing this great work together. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.